For freedom, Christ has set us free. Now, what I'm about to say isn't true for all of you, but it's true for a lot of you. Um, I don't know why you're a Lutheran. I mean, I know you come to St. Paul every week. Uh, I know that you believe that Jesus is in the bread and wine, that the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ is in fact given for us to eat and drink for our salvation. I know none of you come up and tell me I'm wrong when we baptize a baby. So those are all reasons why people go to Lutheran churches. Sometimes I really don't know why anyone's a Lutheran, though, because it seems to me that if you just go visit any random Lutheran church in America, one with the word Lutheran outside on the front, uh, you're not necessarily going to find anyone preaching about any of those things I just talked about, let alone anyone who is reading the Bible at home, anyone who is praying the Psalter in the name of Jesus, and least of all, anyone who's deeply concerned about justification by grace alone, through faith alone, for the sake of Christ alone, which is actually the reason there are Lutherans. That that last part I just said, that, that the Bible, it would seem, teaches that justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, for the sake of Christ alone. We all say that together. It's a little bit of a long phrase, but let's try with the J word, justification. Justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, for the sake of Christ alone. And we could add, we know this because of scripture alone. But I I don't know that for all of you, that's why you come to St. Paul. And that's why you don't go to some other church. And granted, there's other actual Lutheran churches around. But if we're going to be Lutherans, for more than like until we die. Like if the Lutheran church is going to be a church that goes on beyond just us and our desire to have this building or that building or whatever, our club, then the reason it's going to exist is because we distinguish ourselves as having a reason to exist. We can't be, oh, we're just Christians like everyone else, only really weird and different and do it our way. That won't work. What will work is to fervently, actively, actually believe we believe something that others don't teach, but the Bible does. And so, for example, when your your Baptist friend says, I believe in grace, you, you should believe them. They believe in grace until they don't know if they're saved. And then they're taught to believe in the power of their own heart and their own will. That then tends to lead them to great doubt and consternation and confusion. Does it mean they're going to hell? No, not necessarily. Does it mean that their faith is not strengthened? Yes. So again, when we say we believe in grace, and you come to me as my sheep, and I'm your shepherd, and you say, I'm struggling, I don't know if I believe, I'm going to tell you Jesus saved you. I'm going to tell you that you're baptized into Christ, and that's a promise from God. I'm going to tell you to take the body and blood of Jesus and trust him. So when when Lutherans, in theory, preach grace, we actually mean it. For freedom, Christ has set us free. We're not going to turn back again to a yoke of slavery. Now, all of this should be like music to your ears if you are a Lutheran because you like the whole idea of being a Lutheran. Whatever we call it, being a biblical, grace alone, faith alone, 
Christ alone Christian who also happens to think the body and blood of Christ is in the sacrament. Now, why am I on this track? Because Galatians chapter 6 is going to throw you a curveball if you forget this. In fact, those who don't like teaching about grace alone, faith alone, for the sake of Christ alone, they're going to go to Galatians chapter 6 and say, see, right here, it says you got to be good. It says you got to love. you got to fulfill the law of Christ. It says you got to bear each other's burdens. you got to do stuff. you got to put to death the flesh. you got to walk by the Spirit. Otherwise, you're not really a Christian. And the thing is, it does say all of that. It says all of that. There's just five chapters before it that said you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, for the sake of Christ alone. So the real question is, how do these things go together? I mean, unless you're going to believe that St. Paul was such a schizophrenic that he couldn't decide what to say. And he spoke out of both sides of his mouth and gave us a bunch of confusion. So as we get into the text of Galatians 6, which is on page 975 of your pew Bible, as we get into the text, I want you to double down on your belief that you're under grace. That none of this is here for you to prove yourself to God or for you to earn some sort of value on judgment day. All of this is here so that in freedom, you can walk toward the light, toward the good as one who's been made good for the sake of those who are around you who've also been made good while we recognize we still struggle. None of us are perfect. The corruption of the flesh still clings to us. And so together, we're left here not to just relax, but to actually fight. To fight against the flesh within and to fight against the flesh in your neighbor by supporting your neighbor under grace. All right? So this is about our life together in Christ. It's definitely going to be about the law. It is about what we should be. Just don't ever confuse yourself by thinking the law is going to make Jesus love you. It won't. He already loves you. That's why loving the law is, is so freeing now. Because it's not how you become anything. It's what he's giving you next. Yeah? All right. So Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says this. Again, page 975, uh, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. He actually says, pay attention to your neighbor at church. Uh, just start there. You should care about your neighbor at church. And then. If there is something happening in your neighbor's life at church that is so gross a public sin that everybody knows about it, then you who see that, who realize that behavior is not becoming of a Christian, you are to try to restore your neighbor. That means, and this is hard, that means Matthew 18, you're going to go talk to this person in a spirit of gentleness attempting to bring the conversation to the point of talking about what appears to be wrong. Now, let me just give you a couple of very easy examples. Oh, we know that she's off at college and she's sleeping with her boyfriend. That would be something that needs to be dealt with, right? Or, oh, they want to get married, but they already live together. That would be something we, we don't want to support, yes? Or maybe, let's try this one on just for a different tact. Oh, Every voters' assembly, he stands up and acts like a jerk. That's one we shouldn't have happen either. Yeah, 
So the point here is pay attention to your neighbor. And if you notice something that is really unbecoming of us, have the freedom and the confidence in Christ to try to have that conversation. Now, it, it doesn't end here, though. Look at the rest of the verse. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. The idea here is that when you go to restore your neighbor, you end up less restoring and more talking down. You put yourself above and you see them as below and you go and you tut, 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 better be like this. And what you do is end up in a realm of pride and self-arrogance. And when they don't listen to you, you get all puffed up about yourself and you walk off angry and start spouting to other people. So the warning is, if you see something that needs to be spoken about at church, speak about it, but be careful. Because you carry in your own heart all of the problems that everybody else has. And if you go into it thinking, I'm right, they're wrong, even if it says this in the Bible, so you know you're officially right, even if it's about I'm right, they're wrong, it's going to end up quite poorly. So that verse 2 gives us the real point of this is that we would bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. That means bear each other's sin. Put up with each other's flaws, failings, and weirdnesses. And certainly if there is actual gross public sin, come alongside to try to lift that person up out of that sin. Is it possible that they will refuse to repent and it leads to something far worse like excommunication? Yeah, that's actually possible, but that's not the goal. The goal is that we would bear with each other, that we would assume that most sins that we see amongst our Christian community are sins of weakness. Yeah, sins of weakness. That means the person's kind of trapped. They kind of don't know how to stop. They want to, but they need, they need some support. They need some help. And certainly then this should go for all of the idiosyncrasies, all the weirdnesses that we have as people. Oh man, that guy, he always talks so, oh my goodness, here he comes again. Like, okay, you're here to be that guy's friend. You're here to be that guy's support. You're here to bear with each other, yeah? This fulfills the law of Christ. What's that? Grace alone. It's not, oh, and I got to do this to be saved. This is Christ has ushered in a reign of grace. And so since Christ is just shedding grace everywhere, spreading the blood of his atonement upon all of us, well, that makes us like him. And so the law of Christ is to be one who wants to also have grace on others. Am I saying you'll do this perfectly? You'll never struggle. No, not at all. It's going to be a terrible struggle. But I am saying that this is what Christians want. That to know that he is risen, alleluia, is going to foster in you a desire for such a community, such a place where if you were to mess up, people wouldn't come along and be like, I saw you mess up. Instead, they're going to come along and say, are you okay? You need some help? I'm, I'm here for you. Yeah. Now, verse 3 again warns us against getting to up on your high horse, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing he deceives himself all right so again <clears throat> uh, you, you know about this 
this couple, they're living together outside of marriage. You know that they're coming to church. Pastor apparently doesn't know about it. I got to say something to somebody. Okay, how do you do this? You do this as one who knows you're no better. Yeah, you've lived a good life. Yeah, you've never committed adultery. Yeah, your kids still go to church. You're still no better. Just like Jesus said in the Luke text a moment ago, you're still just a simple servant and you need only to do your duty and expect no thanks for it. So don't think you're something when you're nothing, right? Don't think too highly of yourself. That would be to put blinders on your own face. Now, verse four though does say, know who you are. It says, but let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. That's kind of a strange statement for Paul to make. You're supposed to look at your own work and then boast in yourself. What? How does that line up? Well, it does. So let me see if I can unpack this. His point again is as you're going to restore your neighbor, Don't think that your neighbor's response is going to make you better or worse. You live your life. Do what you believe is right, especially according to scripture. And don't think that your own value comes from whether or not you get other people to be like you. And that's actually the the real issue in Galatia, right? So you have these Judaizers. We're trying to get other people to be circumcised. And Paul will say in a moment, that's so they can feel good about themselves. Yeah. Why is it that you would want someone to do what you do? So you can say, oh, look at them. They're just like me. Yeah. And you can apply this to how you dress. You can apply this to what you eat. You can apply this to what you watch on TV. You can apply this to what you listen to when you listen to music. You can apply this to what you read. Hey, people apply this to where they go to school all the time. Paul says, instead, be confident in who you are without the need to change other people so you can look at yourself. And I would suggest to you the power to be that is, again, to know who you are in Christ, that your identity is one who is chosen through the waters of holy baptism. And so you're going to put into practice your integrity underneath God. You're going to love as best you can. You're going to do what's good according to the Ten Commandments. You're going to let the chips fall where they may. And then if you have to talk to somebody about what they need to do, it's not going to be about you. That's really what this this line's about. Don't let it be about you. For each verse 5 will have to bear his own load. In the community, in reality, uh, you know, the worldly wisdom is that what you do, you, blows back on you. So again, let's take this hypothetical couple who's living together outside of marriage. Who's getting hurt the most by this? Their kids. They don't have any kids. I know. But their kids are getting hurt the most by this. They will bear that load. The thing that they are doing now will come back and haunt them later. When you act in bad judgment, then bad judgment is the result. Now, this isn't about the final day. You're forgiven. Don't get me wrong. This is about how if I walk up to you and punch you in the face, you're going to be angry at me. It just happens. There's no getting around it. I can say, but we're saved by grace. It won't change it. And so what you do does matter, especially for us. 
It's not about what you can do to prove yourself to God. It's about how you impact the person next to you. And indeed, each one needs to bear his own load, his own ownership of himself. Be responsible for you, he says. Yeah. Now, interestingly, I, I don't quite know how this verse fits in that context, but the next thing he says is pay your pastor. <laughs> uh, verse six, uh, let one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And then the next thing he says is do not be deceived. God is not mocked. I don't know how not to see that as being about the same idea. You're supposed to care about the guy who's paid by you to restore you gently. And if you think you can kind of shirk that a little bit here or there, I mean, he only works one day a week and I need a new bathroom, so I certainly can't afford to tithe. Well, uh, God's not going to be mocked on this. You're going to get what you pay for. Now, it's hard as a pastor to talk about this. Let me tell you, it's, it's, it really isn't fun uh, for me, but it is also true. And uh, I know for a fact that uh, pastors don't do any service to anybody by ignoring this fact. Uh, I was just, I remember where I was just talking to, I was at a retreat this week. I think that's where this came up. Um, but it could have been talking to Dr. Adam Koontz, one of my good friends. We do a podcast every week. Uh, he was talking about first calls. And, and you have this, this young guy with eight years of school. Eight years of school. He could have been a lawyer in a year less. But he decided to be a pastor. And he gets sent to somewhere. Congregation of 35, 55, 75 in attendance on a Sunday morning. And they pay him $24,000 a year. $30,000 a year. He's got a family. He wants to have kids. He wants his wife to stay home with the kids. $30,000 a year. He doesn't know what to do. He's got debt coming out of his ears. He's in a parsonage made out of horsehair walls. True story. Not mine, but a friend. That is, it's not like it's going to blow back on you specifically on judgment day. But then you look at the state of our church body right now. Where, by the way, in the next 10 to 15 years, we're going to go from 6,000 rostered pastors that are active to 3,000. Just think about that. There's 6,000 plus churches out there too. Guess what? A lot of churches without pastors. A lot of churches saying, hey, can we borrow your pastor? A lot of churches saying, hey, can we have your pastor? Some churches saying, hey, uh, how do we get a pastor? We don't have any money. Other churches say, we got a lot of money. Hey, pastor, come here. What do you think the pastor making 24000 out in the middle of nowhere with the horsehead walls is going to do when someone comes along and offers them seventy five, or maybe one hundred and twenty? Huh? Now, I'm saying all of this because, first off, we're on the internet here too, and so this is really important for our church body to wrestle with, and I know the listeners out there are in their congregations. But also, for you then, just not even with me, but for the future as a congregation, trying to get by by paying your pastor less destroys everything. Pastors shouldn't be rich, but neither should they be poor. They should be fed the way you're fed. They should be given what you are given. You who receive the teaching, share all good things with the one who teaches. Recognizing that God is not mocked, if you're going to hold back because of what you want, then again, the punishment's right there in your face. Your idolatry of what you want 
is going to be the thing that hurts you. He's going to get to that here in a moment. So I'll, I'll let him bring this up again, but very much the result of mocking God. Yeah. Rest of verse seven, whatever one sows that he will reap. Verse eight, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Again, remember you're under grace. Remember that God has chosen you. Remember this isn't about proving yourself to God. If you choose to love money, it's going to hurt you more. If you choose to lie, people won't trust you. If you're going to covet this, that, or the other thing, you know what the punishment for covetousness is, right? Discontent. Oh, I wish I had that thing right there. It doesn't even have to punish you. It is the punishment. I wish I had this thing. You're living dissatisfaction. Yeah. So whatever you chase, that's what you're going to find. And so what is his thrust here? Again, he wants us to chase, first of all, the, the wisdom of God the word of God, to seek the higher things, to, to seek to pray to God, to seek to turn all our burdens over to God. And then from there, he wants us to seek each other, to seek the good of the neighbor, to share what we have with those who don't have it, to realize we're one great body and we need each other. Huh? But if you're going to then sow to the spirit, this means looking different than the world. This means at times saying no to the world important to remember what, what is the flesh how would you sow to the flesh it's when you're like but i want it and then you go and give the want the same power as it's true when i want equals it's true you're sowing to your flesh to sow the spirit is to live with the word of god being true and at times recognizing the, the flesh needs to sacrifice the flesh needs to not have what it wants sometimes that's really a good thing a little quip from Luther one time, the worst thing you can do for a young man is give him what he wants. It's kind of true at times, yeah? Young men need to have uh, some hard lessons sometimes, yeah? And so also, all of us need to treat our flesh like a tantrum-throwing little boy deep inside the heart and learn to say no to it. And sometimes, I mean, I'll, I'll be real personal. For me, that means Monday morning, it's the week after church. I always feel awful Monday. It's a big letdown to me. There's so much energy that goes into Sunday that Monday I feel horrible. And I'll sit there and I don't know why I'm doing anything. I don't know why I'm even alive. I mean, the depression really comes out. And I have to say to myself, that's a lie, Jonathan. That's a lie. But I really feel bad. I don't. So what? It's not true. It's misguided. It's wrong. And so I get up and I walk through the day and I try to talk myself into what is true. What's well, true? St. Paul Lutheran Church is a church full of people who want the scriptures taught to them. And I'm blessed to be here. St. Paul Lutheran Church is a church that believes that the Lord's Supper is the heartbeat of our life together. St. Paul Lutheran Church is a church that is going to last beyond this generation because of these things. And I am then again, doubly blessed to be here. But it's not like I feel that, just kind of cuts. I have to teach myself that. And so that's what Paul's getting at here with sowing to the Spirit. Teach yourself what the Scripture says. I can teach you Sunday morning. I can teach you online. I can teach you on Wednesday. But all week long, I can't stand by your bed. So take ownership of it. 
right? Bear your own burden and start teaching yourself as well. All right. So verse nine, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. That's exactly what Monday morning is for me. Hey, Jonathan, don't don't grow weary of doing good. You're going to reap someday. And and of course, you know, the day is coming when your body is going to be raised from the dead. And a hundredfold will be the result of the seed you sow now. It's incredible to think about that. A hundredfold is unrealistic. Even with genetic engineering, we can't do a hundredfold crop. hundredfold is, is unbelievable. That's what's coming for you. Because the seed that was planted is Jesus. Because the Son of God himself is the seed that's been planted in you. And he's already sprouting forth with faith. But on the last day, he's going to sprout forth with sight. Your body's going to join him in all of that amazing glory. Verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Remember how we started. As a Christian church, as a community, there's going to come times where you need to talk to somebody else in the congregation because of this, that, or the other thing. It could be their sin. It could be a simple question. You might need to get them involved in something. doesn't matter. Bear with each other's burdens. Be a people under grace and hunger to do good even when your flesh doesn't want to. And then notice he doesn't say only in the church. He also says to everybody else too. But, but notice he doesn't just say to everybody. Christians got to love everybody. Yes, after we love each other. We do see that we're different. Have you noticed the pagans? <laughs> They're here. They're all over. In fact, I learned this week as well that there are more officially registered witches in the United States than there are members of the Presbyterian Church USA. That used to be the big Presbyterian Church. I'm not sure they're, they're quite as big as some of the other more conservative ones. They're the liberal one. They're the one that let go of everything they believe. There's more witches. More witches. Actually witches. Like we, we, I set up a little thing with candles and I kill a cat or I sacrifice some lettuce. Whatever. They do their weird stuff. But they're out there. And they're not wise. And they're not honest. So when you do good to them, you need to see them differently than you see your neighbors in the pew. Again, do good to everyone, but especially seek to benefit the community that you know is walking past the insanity into the everlasting life, which is to come. Verse 11, Paul says, look at the large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It says because he probably did not pen with his own hand any of his letters. Rather, he spoke them and had someone who was a professional scribe write them down because unless you were a professional scribe, you wrote too big and you would waste paper. Paper was very expensive. But at this point, uh, I mean, he he does this a number of times. He'll sign the letter and say, look at my own hand here. Um, But at this point, he's going to write more because he's really into this letter to Galatians. He does not want them to miss the point of grace alone. So see with what large letters I'm writing. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. We kind of covered this idea that when someone comes along and says, you should be more like me, it's not about you. It's about them. And so you also learn to not listen to such kinds of pressure, such kinds of manipulation. 
Because you are firm in Christ. You are held by your Lord Jesus Christ. Why do you need to do this or that little especially weird thing that Scripture doesn't command? And he points out in verse 13 that even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but the desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. One of the things you will find out if you kind of pay attention to those who say you should be like this, you should be like that with all the little stuff is they're often not like that themselves. The hypocrisy in legalism is writ large. And if you can see it, it can help you at least fall back into grace again. The goal isn't to be like, well, they're a hypocrite, so I, I don't like them. Well, now, now you're the hypocrite too. The goal is, oh, this person's being hypocritical. I should remember that I'm saved by Jesus and seek the good of this person. Yeah. Almost out of time here, so we're going to scoot ahead again. Verse 14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Didn't he just say, I have to boast to myself? He just said that, right? So, so what does he mean? Well, again, but he, by boasting himself, he means just take care of your own business. Be comfortable with who you are. But if you're going to talk to someone else about who you are, why don't you talk about being a Christian? And that doesn't mean all that I do. It means all that Jesus has done. If you're going to fill your mind with things, why don't you fill it not with how I should look better, how I should dress better, how I should eat better. Why don't you fill it with who Jesus is? the lineage of his name, the power of his miracles and wonders of old, and the way that he now is inspiring you to want to love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah? Because neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Now, this is where it gets really tricky here at the end. A new creation. Does that mean I'm supposed to look at myself and see if I'm a new creation? Yes. What if I don't see it? Well, then you're looking the wrong way, Christian, because knowing that he is risen, alleluia, is the new creation. And then all of the, the guilt and the travail that the honest Christian has over how, how I really should be better at this, that also is the new creation. The desire to love your neighbor, even when your neighbor is really not someone you want to love, but you want to, you want to, that's the new creation. And so what really Paul's getting at here is not justify yourself by the law. It's because you're justified by grace. What matters now is seeing clearly. What matters now is believing what the scripture says. What matters now is the church, this community of people who are here in the midst of a great insanity that's going on everywhere else. We're here because we believe that Christ has died Christ is risen, Christ will come again, and that the body and blood given for us to eat and drink on this altar justifies us by grace through faith, all for the sake of who Jesus is in his name. Amen.